Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Welcome to Two Guys, One Book. I am Brian, and I'm joined, as always, by Tim. Hello, yep. Tim. Hello. And today we are discussing our, ne- our new book that we just finished. It is Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America by Lee Drutman. And I picked this book uh, because 2020 was a hell of a year. It was a, um, what is that called? Presidential election was Mm. was also involved in this year. And it just seemed like, you know, nobody was really pleased with the choices we had um, four years ago and and also 2020. And I just feel like two choices is not enough. How many choices do you think is good? Uh, like four or five. I think there needs to be about five. Anyway, five but we're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves. All right, we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. So <laughs> basically, this book was written by political scientists making the case for uh, multi-party democracy in America. And um, he starts with the origins of our democracy from the founding fathers and and their vision for America and how they did not like political parties, but yet inevitably ended up uh, forming into them. And then he talks about throughout the years, the whenever a third party candidate would pop up, they were seen more as a spoiler to one of the major two parties instead of an actual legitimate candidate. Um, and then how the, the, the Democrats and Republicans have evolved over the years to be totally um, opposite ends of the spectrum and totally antagonistic and every election is uh, zero, zero sum and, 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 you know, winner take all. And so one party is hell bent on beating the other party and, and none of them want to work together to improve politics because in the plurality vote, like it doesn't matter who gets, it, it doesn't matter who, get, if one party or the other gets 50% because that's never really possible because there's always going to be independent libertarian or green party people that other people vote for. Um, So I think Joe Biden this year won with 50% of the vote, which was highly unusual because Trump won four years ago with less than uh, a majority, less than a plurality and only about 46% of the vote. So less than half of Americans voted for him. And then uh, this political scientist also goes into all the nuances of the politics behind how we got where we are and and the nuances of the political environment going forward and if this is even a reality in the future so Mm. this is a highly detailed and very thorough book uh about our political process um which i enjoyed and so tim what was what were your impressions well, that's, Were, is that's that a good, good synopsis would you have anything else to add yeah no i'd say that's good coverage you know you've got a lot of feelings about the political system in america and uh you know it's a sensitive subject for a lot of people so i think it's a good pick especially now like you said with our choices a lot of people upset about those being our only two right. um i do want to take a step back and point out that we are doing our first remote uh oh recording yeah. right so, yes. so one of us moved away issues. Yeah. And I won't yeah. say who. They're very, they're very selfish <laughs> of them. Yeah. Very selfish <laughs> I own that. But uh, we're trying something new. So the audio, you know, for the thousands of listeners out there. Um, thousands? Let us wow. Know Are we we're growing rapidly? Hundreds of thousands? I don't know. Maybe 
<laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully this works okay. And um, and yeah. So good pick overall. I thought it was the idea behind it was good, the concept good, but I think it fell a little short for me just in terms of you know what he suggested in like the solution section and just the general kind of structure of the book. Um, I you think thought it, it fell was short. short? It fell short of my expectations. Oh, fell short. Yeah. I I thought you were saying the book. Okay, it fell short, not felt short. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, okay. See, we're already experiencing these audio yeah. issues. <laughs> only just okay, begun, so, so. so how did it fall short of your expectations? Because I would say the first half dragged on for quite some time. And, oh, man, I really – one of my pet peeves that authors do in, like, these books is, like, more on this topic in chapter nine and then more on this in chapter seven. And he did that all the time. It's like, oh. just talk about what you're going to talk about. And like, I'm not going to remember what chapter you're going to talk about this in the future. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just such a not necessary filler sentence. I agree. That was unnecessary because like, not only did he do that, like in chapters two, three, and four, he say more on this in chapter seven, eight, nine. But then when you got to seven, eight, chapter seven, eight, nine, he said, as discussed in chapters two and three, and then, yeah. like, why, why didn't you just say, we know, we've read those chapters, just say, you know, what you're going to say, and we'll, right. we'll follow you, because we've read it. It read um, like a thesis paper or something, you know, how, like, in academics, a lot of students right. will do that. Right. Um, in section 2.4. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's a small thing. But anyway, like, I think the solutions part could have been a lot bigger and more of a focus. And I also think, like, he could have talked more about, like, the downsides of his suggestions, because um, it's like there's no easy approach. And, you know, like as a country, I think we're like, you know, demographically different and in a lot of different ways. And so like to say this thing worked in one country, but here we have like uh, different views on different things in a lot of ways that makes us unique from other countries. So it's it's not that simple to just say like New Zealand, you know, did this. So we're going to implement it with no issues, you know. Pollyanna-ish is the word, I would say. Yes, Pollyanna-ish. Yes, <laughs> I, I agree his solu solutions were a little, like, just seemed simple. Like, oh, just this, this is just what we need to do right here. You're right. He could have dove into the downsides of those a little bit. But um, I agree it was written like a thesis paper. I mean, this was this really got into the weeds of, like, the political history and, and polling about how people are satisfied or dissatisfied with the parties and if Americans desire a third party and how many people identify as independents who voted in the presidential election and like all this stuff. So it was kind of a slog at time to read, th read through it. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, I completely a hundred percent agree with all the, all of the, the arguments he's trying to make, you know, mm -hmm. so that helped me get through it. I mean, I think it's, it would be difficult to try to give this book to somebody and say like, Hey, this is a great read to, to if you want to, if you're interested in about how American democracy can be improved. Cause I thought, yeah. about, I thought about, can I use this book to try to convince others that this is what we need? Because that's how much I believe in the argument he's making. Yeah. If his intention was to write a book for the masses and convince them of this need for more parties in American politics, I don't think he achieved that. It's more like you, we're suggesting, I think, that it's for people who already have like a, an interest in the political nonfiction realm. It's tailored to that audience. Right. Um, yeah, you need like 
like a Thomas Paine common sense version for the masses. Like, <laughs> here's our current reality. What, why, uh, you know, and this is something the founders warned about, which he mentions quite often. It's like, however many centuries ago, 200, whatever, 300 years ago, you know, whatever the math yeah. is, 1776 yeah. <laughs> minus, yeah, 2020. Yeah. They were saying all the way back then, like, warning about this possibility because it has all these downsides. But it's like, it's pretty much inevitable that parties form because, like, that's how they throw support behind candidates and candidates get resources and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, why you were saying you think there should be five parties, right? What, what five? What do you say? Oh, Ideally. well, I think I think there needs to be far right, uh, right? Yeah, middle, I think. Each- each party can split into two, and then there'd be a center party. The two parties need to split up, split up into two, so the fringe parties on the left and the right can can their platform can be like deport all foreign foreign people that are, are ever coming to this country, or give everyone a thousand dollars a month. You know, so the fringe left and the fringe right can both do their thing. Then more moderate Republicans and Democrats will have a home kind of closer to the center, and then people truly in the middle that kind of go have some policies that they favor on the left and some on the right will have a middle ground that they can be, you know? Yeah. And like he says in the book is that our primary system really uh, is problematic because like a lot of people don't even vote in the primaries and the way to stand out amongst the candidates is to be like kind of, I don't know if extreme or radical is the right word, but just have like strong perspectives and opinions because that's how you rally that early base up. Right. I, I, the primaries, the primaries have become like a purity test for both parties. Uh, like who is the most Democrat or who is the most Republican? And, and that's the person who wins. It's not based on like, cause like, like you said, so many, so few people vote in the primaries and the people that do vote in the primaries are more of the more politically active or, or, uh, dedicated people. So they're going to lean more towards, um, yeah, their party. But I will say, like, in the case of Trump, like, being, like, the populist, uh, you know, having that tag attached to him, I would say that didn't align with, like, traditional Republican candidates or maybe even what the party wanted. True. But, I mean, so that's what that's what primaries can do, too, is that the primaries can – if there's too many candidates in a primary, then uh, somebody can latch on to a very diff- – divisive issue like Trump did with immigration and like making America great again. And like that was able, got enough of the Republican support that, and there was nobody else on the Republican side on 2016 to, to get enough support to counter him. And so he was winning with like only about 30% of the total support, but there was nobody else in Republican party that got even close to that because they were all spread out too thin. And you and know. just kind of like not super strong candidates, I think too. Like right, correct. The, the second closest candidate. one was like Ted yeah. Cruz at the end, and like yeah. who likes Ted Cruz? I'm sorry, no. to people, <laughs> but like, come on. Yeah. Uh, also, okay, so hypothetically, like, how would that look based on your idea of like multiple parties and what the author is suggesting? So like, uh, Trump would be the far right, and then like Jeb Bush would have been the like more moderate right, and then right. Uh, Biden moderate left, and Bernie Sanders like far left. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And like those. But how does it look like in the actual like election process? We see that's the problem is I don't think this author uh, addressed the actual presidential election. Right. He he talked about more about parties and 
the breakdown of the Senate and the House of Representatives, not so much like how are we going to elect the president? Because, you know, the, the popular thing nowadays is to say the, to get rid of the Electoral College, which is what I agree with if it's going to be a two-party race. But if it's a five-party race for uh, national politics, I mean, you could try – you could do ranked cho- choice voting. It would just be a lot – it would be a big counting effort, and it would take – probably a week to figure that all out because you get rid of the first place votes and then go to the second place and then count those and then then so forth and so on. Yeah. See, that's the thing that's like, I feel like he made these broad uh, suggestions, but the reality mm-hmm. of implementing them is just a little too, it's not that simple. And like, I guess he used Maine as an example of ranked choice voting being successful. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things that maybe as more and more local and state elections take that on, then uh, it could kind of gain more national popularity. Right. And I think that's that's the route it will take. I think, you know, I think ranked choice voting and multiple parties might follow a similar path that like legalizing marijuana has taken, mm-hmm. where it's been on a more regional or state by state base. Right. And then more and more people are realizing like, yeah, overall, I guess if you pulled in the whole country, that most people would probably be OK with at least decriminalizing it and maybe even making it recreational legal. You know? Is it just like, okay, so see, is it kind of like an education thing? I think one thing the author talks a lot about is that what incentive to the powers that be have to push oh. for electoral reform? Because either way, uh, the other one party is going to spin it as the other party trying to like hurt right. their odds of getting candidates elected, right? Right. Oh, and that's 100% right. The politicians will never agree to this. I mean, I think I think that's why it's going to be on a state-by-state level because he talks about Maine approved ranked choice voting purely from the people voted on it. And mm-hmm. politicians were like, are you sure? They made them pass another thing. Are you really sure that you want to want ranked choice voting? And Maine, Mainers were like, yes. Side note, Mainers, I think, is my favorite label for people from a state. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Mainers, yeah. I never, <laughs> I never weird. liked Michiganders. Never liked Michiganders. Is that what they're uh, called? Yes, that's what they're called. Or um, I like Ohio Arcan- Do you know what simple. Arkansas people from Arkansas are called? I don't know. Arkansans. Arkansans. Yeah, like Kansas. Sense, I guess, but still, that <laughs> Mainers like that is better. Mainers <laughs> is better. Um, anyway, that's a side note. Um, so yeah, so I think it's going to be like a state by state thing where they're, people are going to vote on it and sure it might not pass first time in some states, but I think you will find that, that I think it is an education thing. You're right. People just don't know about it and know that, that that would be an option that would improve democracy. So should we talk about how ranked choice voting will improve? Well, yeah. And just as a side note, I would say like, um, Maine is a special case because I think it just like being a smaller population. And then they had this governor who was super like controversial and was winning because he was like unopposed, um, you know, in his party. So uh, I think it was kind of by necessity. They had to like get this jerk out of office. Right. Is, is well, well, because that Republican governor won because the Democrat and the independent who the independent who ran and the Democrat uh, nominee split votes. Mm-hmm. And so the Republican governor of Maine won without getting 50% of the vote. So yeah. it was, and and that's who they were stuck with. And it was an embarrassment. And Mainers were, were did not like that. So yeah, it's just, work. yeah, it's a shame that third party candidates can't 
are pretty much seen as just disrupting from one party or the other, you know, right. like right. rather than a viable like third option. Right. And so ranked choice voting would give people a chance to support independents without independent candidates without essentially throwing their vote away. Yeah. You know, so that the, all the people in Maine. So take Maine as an example. The Republican won with like like less than 50 percent of the vote. So the Democratic candidate and the independent won, you know, a fair share of votes each. So if, if all, everyone that voted, if it was ranked choice voting, people that could vote for the Democrat one and the independent two or the independent one and the Democrat two. And so whoever was third then, say Republican got 40 percent, Democrat got 30 percent and the independent got 20 or so or yeah, yeah whatever. And so then then the, whoever was third, they would look at those ballots, see who who was second on those ballots and then distribute those votes accordingly and they very well could have gone to the democrat and so he would have bumped over 50 percent and would have been elected uh governor then and so that's, yeah. a, that's an oversimplification of how ranked choice voting works well so and uh a lot of countries use this as well right like i think right. new zealand uk um place other places in europe and i think it just makes so much sense from like a choosing perspective because it's like okay, my first choice might not be an option, but here's my second favorite and third favorite. Right. Like it just makes so, it seems so obvious. Like it's it's hard to believe that this is such like a far-fetched um, kind of thing on a national scale here. Right. So Two things. Yeah. So first is you're right. Like the second and third choices should matter. Like it shouldn't just be like hold your nose and pick one. Like all or nothing. Yeah. Right. And so what that would do is that would make the politicians then realize that like, hey, if I'm not going to be people's first choice, I want to be make sure as, as I'm as many second choices as possible. So they're not going to take totally divisive is, uh, stances on issues where they know are really good for Republicans base, but maybe not play well to the moderates, you know, so mm -hmm. that, that would help prevent a guy like Trump because people who be like, you know, Say in the Republican primary, people who couldn't stand Trump could put like Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz, you know, in their ranks, and then that would help even things out. And then yeah. another thing about your point about other countries using this, like America is a great country that at its founding developed this very complex, intricate and very wise system of government. But at the time, they didn't have like they didn't know more than they did at the time. You know, like all those other countries you mentioned in, instilled those voting methods since like the 1900s. You know, like since America was like 150 years old, then the other countries started coming up with ranked choice voting and, you know, uh, multi multi representative parties, mm -hmm. which is another thing we can talk about. But like so just because America invented democracy first or not invented, but like came up with this constitutional democracy first doesn't mean we perfect perfected it in 1786 or whatever you know mm -hmm. there's there's other examples that of countries that have improved on this democracy's system that we can use as examples to further improve our country and i feel like yeah it's like the most american thing is like the constitution they say is a living document but like it's never going to get another amendment with the current government situation we have in washington right well that's the thing it's like if there are uh, politicians that benefit from really polarizing issues because that rally like you know gets their base um excited then it's like why would they pass legislation to change that um right, right. but 
but like you were saying, like that's my favorite part about ranked choice voting is that it actually like disincentivizes polarization, and that's something that like we desperately need now because yeah. the country is so polarized. Um, but yeah, when a candidate's trying to be like your second or third favorite, it's like they're not gonna, you know, just make everything so like us versus them. It's yeah. more just like us as a country, and like how do I get as many people to the if not love me, just like like me enough to make me their second choice. Right. Right. So politicians will become. Uh, more appealable to a broader audience because they want to be other people's second choice. And then also when they go to form a government, like actually try to pass stuff, they're going to actually have to form coalitions Mm -hmm. that across strict party lines because you're going to have more parties. It's going to be more muddled. It's going to be a little more complex, but that's a good thing. We need, if it's a little more complex, then it's not black and white. Because if things seem black and white, then people are very uh, quick to just make a, uh, their decision and just stick with their initial decision or stick with whatever their party tells them to decide. If things are gray, there's there's a lot of gray area and people are like, oh, I don't really know. I think that's a good thing for democracy because then that means like, then then you know. Vote on whatever moves you at that time, but like then when politicians actually try to pass stuff, they're going to have to work together with other people with dissenting views, and so they'll have to compromise more. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing people like, it's really uh, nuanced issues and uh, subtle <laughs> distinctions and uh, you know political. But, but that's what we need because like we can't have like just black and white issues because you don't want to be spoon fed your opinions no, and some I rally cry. No. <laughs> Maybe like a four-word, five-word slogan, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's bad. I think – so this reminds me – it's a little bit of a tangent, but there's a book, um, Amusing Ourselves to Death by, I think, like Neil Postman or something like that. Uh, and I read it a long time ago, so I don't remember everything. But the idea is like our entertainment culture – and this was in like the 70s, so it was before TV and streaming and everything got like as big oh. as it is now. Um, he's just saying like how entertainment just became our – you know, kind of primary focus and obsession. And then, I don't know, just with like the candidates running today, I feel like they are so governed by that kind of um, angle where it is kind of in their favor to dumb things down to like a short slogan and just play to people's emotions and just, you know, it's all about getting like viewers and that sort of thing. Right. So right. it's so the reason I bring that up is like, how do you incorporate his ideas for electoral reform? with um you know the reality that is our like entertainment culture and and that sort of thing okay so you so you're thinking like that this will never fly because americans have gotten too used to like a purely entertainment um mindset where oh if we have five political parties and they all kind of have to work together and everything is so muddled that we can't tell one party from the other and (laughs) Let me put it like boring. this. Okay, I'll say if there's a Netflix documentary about ranked choice voting, I think it would reach more people than this book ever will. There is. <laughs> really? There, there, is there's a there's a Vox explained voting explained on Netflix. Okay. Vox did an explained video on voting. They did like three different videos, and one of them they talk about ranked choice voting and multi-representative uh, districts which I think is a great idea. These multi, So basically the Senate would kind of be the same with two senators elected. Uh, so let me just start over. The author pot, uh, proposes that the Senate kind of remain the same with two senators from each state because it's hard to change the Senate. Um, 
and each senator would be elected by ranked choice voting within that state. And then the House of Representatives, uh, first of all, he says it should be increased because uh, we need more representation in Congress per uh, population. So right now, America has 400, what, three, 435 representatives, yeah. and each representative equals about 800,000 American citizens, which is higher than any other like modern democracy like Germany or Japan or or UK all have more representatives or their representatives represent like 100,000 or of their citizens or less. Ours is like 800,000 per one representative. So the representatives then wouldn't be split into these single winner take all districts, but they'll be kind of lumped in these bigger districts where four or five representatives would come out of that district and those four or five representatives would be a, a ratio of of the of the way the people vote in that district. So if you have like five representatives coming out of a district and 60% of that district is Republican and 40% of that district is Democrat, then you'd have three rep Republican representatives and two Democrat representatives. Mm -hmm. and I think that just makes the most sense in the world. I hate the fact that these gerrymandered, broken up little congressional districts are just represented by one person and that they can just do whatever the hell they want because they're in a comfortable seat and every two years they just trot out there and get reelected. Yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, I mean that for Democrats and Republicans alike. I think the, the best thing yeah. would have these, these larger groups of people represented by four or five representatives that are always kind of up in the air. Who's going to go back to Washington or who's going to like, I don't know. No, that's you know that's a that's a good point and it's frustrating, but like it is. it's hard to uh, what's that? It is frustrating. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say it's it's hard to imagine like the Republicans like selling them on oh we need more representatives because more representation is sort of associated with just like more Democratic candidates, um, and it is kind of crazy when you think about like the founders and the whole idea of like the electoral college and how like and and not even just that but like um with Senator representation and like Wyoming has a few hundred thousand people in the population and California has like millions and they just have two senators. And I know the point of the representatives is to offset and account for population, but you, it really seems like the uh, power of balance, balance of power. That's what I mean <laughs> is uh, not quite, um, you know, working out in a, in a sane <laughs> or fair way because senators are so powerful. And for that, big of a population discrepancy seems kind of crazy. It is crazy. I think the house should be the, the party or the, the, the chamber of Congress of Congress that, you know, is looked at as more of a representative of America because it is, it just purely is because each person in the representing, you know, mem uh, citizens of America are more equally distributed in the Congress than they are in the Senate. Another thing he says about the, the gridlock between the two parties is that if Congress like grinds to a halt and can't get anything done, then that's just going to increase the power of the presidency, which then increases the the stakes of each presidential election, which means the part the the partisan politics of Democrats and Republicans are just going to bicker at each other every four years over the presidency because the presidency has so much power. And because of, because they are a bit more bickering during the presidential elections, then Congress is more divided and they won't get anything done, which then increases the power of the presidency. And it's this doom loop. Huh? Yeah. It's that's, kind of like what he said. It's breaking that's the, the whole idea of the doom loop. loop. 
Yeah. yeah. He did say zero sum a little bit too much in this book, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good word yeah. phrase but, out there. Yeah. I mean, just for be, America being such a great country, there's just, it's not perfect. I mean, with a democracy, too, like you can argue that being having these inefficiencies is just kind of like an inherent part of it. And maybe it's better that we have built in, um, you know, inefficiencies because that prevents one part of the government from getting too powerful. But like you said, with everything consolidating to two parties and with the um, executive branch just growing more powerful, it seems over time, like that's the whole idea of the doom loop is that these things are kind of going in a certain direction. That's not really a positive uh, outlook for the country. Right. Uh, Agreed. I feel like if, if, one party ha- happens to win the House, the Senate, and the White House, then their window of opportunity is so short to try to do anything. But even then, like whatever one party tries to do, the other party will try to undo. It just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like it's sustainable for for long term. I I just I. I don't know. I just look at the to, towards the future and just don't see this improving unless there's like a massive, like two. I have two thoughts going forward. Like basically, if, if there's a massive demographic shift where like Texas becomes purple or blue, so that the presidency is almost always Democrat, then maybe we can get the Republicans to agree that like getting rid of the electoral college is a good thing. And that's one step to maybe improving our democracy. And then another thing is like, if maybe this whole fiasco with Trump trying to still turn over the election as it's almost inauguration day, that maybe over these next couple of years, if people still try to uh, cater to these QAnon believers, then then maybe the Republican party will be in 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 disarray and maybe they will split into two parties which i don't think would be a bad thing i think you know i think three parties is still better than two yeah so that's that's a good point i think if he you know steps down as he should in a couple weeks uh and then in four years runs again what if uh the republican party won't let him get nominated and then he just decides to run as a third party and then he'd probably get more votes than any third party candidate before in recent history like i don't know 20 30 percent or something um which you know if anything that kind of disruption might be good overall even if it's kind of chaotic in the short term um because you know it kind of takes things getting shaken up um for things to kind of get forced to go in a new direction i completely agree and i and i feel like trump might might be (laughs) the agent of change that we all need (laughs) yeah we're all so grateful years of hell with his presidency and impeachment and and you know uh him casting doubt on our democracy but maybe four years from now you're right maybe four years from now like the josh hollies ted cruz's marco rubio's the people who want to run for president again in four years are not going to let him muscle his way through the republican nomination and so he'll yeah. do it independent. He'll split the vote. Republicans will be like, this is not cool. We got to do something about it. Maybe change will happen then. Can I just say, like, I understand. Uh, I mean, there are there are that portion of voters that will always vote Republican because of like religious purposes or because of like tax purposes, because of my religion and tax views. I'm always going to be that. And that's like a solid chunk of people. And then, like, I can understand, like, you know, some blue collar people who feel like the Democratic Party has not 
represented him recently. And so, you know, they're supporting Trump because he's like for that, like, you know, demographic like person. But what I don't understand right now is how many Republicans are, um, you know, kind of, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but like validating his claims of election fraud when there's no evidence and he's lost all these states. And it, it really, it's pretty scary. And if like Joe Biden hadn't won by the margin that he did, if it had maybe just been one or two states, then we'd be looking at like a really, I mean, even worse situation because then, you know, that's all it, it like he would put all of his efforts into discrediting one state. And it's like, ah, it's just, I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens in like developing countries that have kind of weak democratic norms and it's scary to, you know, go in that direction. So. It is. It is very weird. And I, yeah. that's the thing is like, that seems to be like almost a litmus, litmus test for anybody that wants to run for president on the Republican ticket in 2024 the limit limits test seems to be they have to cast doubt somehow on this year's election. So, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that they feel like they have to cater to the Republicans that are so brainwashed to think that the Demo- the the election was rigged in somehow. But that's what they're doing. And, and that's what Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley are doing is they are they are purposely catering to the, the Republican base not because they truly believe the election was went bad in any way, shape, or form. It's just simply they just want to the Republican base to remember in four years that Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz fought for that fought for President Trump every step of the way. And they're trying to get his supporters yes, essentially. Correct. They're grandstanding, making a political point yes. to get that base right. to listen to what they say. Right. And so. if we had more than two parties in this country, they wouldn't have to do that. They wouldn't have to stoop to that level. They could they could ignore the fringe right and just say, I'm going to be more of a center or center right uh, candidate run for this in this part party and and try my hand there. You know, yeah. And it's a shame because there are a lot of Republicans who I think are afraid to speak up because, you know, they've never really been. Um, aligned with Trump, but like if they came out against him, that they would just get, you know, face all this wrath and backlash. So mm-hmm. that's another thing about having two parties is that you're pretty much expected to fall in line with whoever's at the head of it. Um, right. And if you don't, then you're kind of kicked to the curb in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. So Doom Loop. Yeah. Doom Loop. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to pick a depressing book, but I felt this was very timely for 2020. Yeah. Very timely for yeah. sure. Um, let's, we'll do some happy ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy ones coming up. I'm sure. Or you have one, what do you have one next? Or we can discuss that later. But, um, so you, you felt like this fell short of your expectations. What were you, so you wanted him to do more about the solutions, um, more of a, a different variety of solutions that might be possible or like, yeah. So just to sum up, like my critique is like, I just felt he waited too long to get to the solutions. And then the solutions section was not um, like fleshed out enough to my liking. It wasn't uh, didn't talk given it enough examples, I think, to be convincing or go, um, you know, dwell on the downsides enough. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what okay. I would say. OK, that's fair. I, I mean, you know, the solutions were in the very back of the book and because he he spent oh, he was very thorough. I, I, I appreciated his rigor with explaining the how uh, politics in the 50s, 60s and 70s were more like four parties instead of two, because you had 
Republicans and Democrats, but you still had moderate Democrats in the South that were kind of conservative. And then you had, you know, moderate or slightly liberal Republicans in the Northeast and out in California that were still kind of, you know, Republican, but, but socially, you know, um, what is that called? Socially uh, uh, liberal, but fiscally conservative, you know, that. Yeah, yeah. But but anyway, I thought it was interesting that he he broke down the history of the 60s and 70s and explained it that way. And he made this basically um, Cartesian coordinate of X, Y and like the X um, was egalitarian or market uh, focused approach. And the Y was traditionalist or cosmopolitan and kind of how the two parties kind of morphed over the years. Like they were kind of spread out across um, uh, like I think what was it traditionalist and cosmopolitan more than egalitarian and market focused or vice versa. I don't know. It was very interesting how he went into all that stuff. Yeah, it's important to go over the history and and get the context and especially like the LBJ era. Like Mm -hmm. I think with the Democrats, um, you know, in the 70s, I guess, 60s, 70s, like um, pushing for civil rights and everything like that kind of uh, shifted a lot of demographics. And, um, you know, even decades later has, you know, um, shaped how parties look like today. Yeah, absolutely. That those those uh, historic uh, feats of Congress uh, did definitely realign the parties in more geographical locations, which meant that most people and their neighbors all were of the same party nowadays, like they are. So uh, you don't see very much many people, you know, cohabit or ha- you know, habitating in an area where it's truly purple. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, because now it's more of an urban-rural divide, which then just magnifies the differences because people in they live in cities or people that live in the country. I don't know anybody that didn't vote for Biden or I don't know anybody that didn't vote for Trump. So like, you know, it yeah. just, it just reiterates this, this uh, polarization that is just crippling our democracy. Well, yeah. Just going off that point, it's like, we're all in our own bubble, like mm-hmm. physically, a lot of us are. And then, um, you know, digitally, obviously with like the filter bubbles and algorithms basically reinforcing whatever we're interested in. Um, so like yeah the people who would watch the uh you know vox documentary on netflix like only if they're already interested in that topic otherwise it's all like the bad adam sandler movies that are on there um (laughs) ub halloween or whatever Um, don't lie you watched it didn't you (laughs) you watched it no you haven't seen it did, oh. Is it good? No, I haven't. I'm not gonna watch that garbage, please. Oh no. <laughs> too busy with the, the Vox documentaries. Um, oh man, I had a point. Oh. oh yeah. Okay. So speaking of like shifts in um the world or and whatnot. So I think with COVID uh, has been an interesting. It's had a lot of like crazy impacts and and whatnot. But with like more people going to remote work. Don't you think like um, demographically like that could be a good thing for us where we're not as much in our bubble if some people feel like they want to they can work wherever from their jobs. They might move to different parts of the country and do that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, So if people can work remotely, they won't have to live in a city or they won't be tied geographically to their job so they can live wherever they want is what you're saying. Yep. I think that is only for the privileged few. I don't think that will be enough to to actually 
spread across party lines and, and like actually affect people's mindsets on politics. I think that just be, and with technology now, just because you move somewhere doesn't mean you are exposed to the people around you now. Like, yeah, you know, that's the other thing is like you can move to the country and remote work and all this stuff. But uh, I mean, you could just live on your in, at your on your ranch and not even see your neighbors. But it could it still could change the voting like demographics. Reality. Ooh, I see. I see. Maybe. Maybe. I was thinking I more mean, it's probably not enough to like dramatically shift anything. But like just as an example, like a lot of people in the tech industry who live in San Francisco are like, why are we paying this crazy amount of rent when we can't do anything right now? So they're mm-hmm. moving to like Florida or like Texas or something. So if those states get an influx of like different voters mm-hmm. because of that kind of uh, migration. True. I mean, I I think it would be I don't know how big that would be because, you know, I look, you know, we have a lot more people coming up that are going to be 18 and four years from now that aren't 18 now. And I feel like, you know, the younger generations tend to be a little more liberal. So maybe that will have, I think have a more outsized impact than yeah. techies moving from San Francisco across the country. No offense, Tim. No. Yeah. I mean, I follow <laughs> Twitter. I'm, I'm in my Twitter uh, filter bubble. So yeah. Yeah. it surely over exaggerates that impact, yeah. but yeah, I think uh, younger generation um, being born, older generation, you know, going on on their way uh, that can shift things quite a way, quite a bit. Um, so last thing is like with COVID too, it's like um, it's kind of really so politicized that it's almost like people associate like uh, cautiousness and wearing masks with like democratic <laughs> people too, and it's like I, I don't know. I feel like that doing things that's gotten too politicized at this point. Yes, masks and being cautious with COVID has become, unfortunately, politicized. Um, Hopefully, I think that's slowly deteriorating a little bit, maybe, because we realize how bad it's been since, you know, October, November. It's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And so maybe people are realizing, like, masks. I, I just know, personally, anecdotally, for me, I survey across southwest Ohio and northern Kentucky and there was a small town that I surveyed in um, that had COVID uh, run through the city employees there. And so all the city employees of the small town in rural Ohio were like, oh, crap, COVID is serious. And it even, unfortunately, one of the county commissioners died from COVID. And so now this this community is taking COVID seriously. But it took like literally, uh, you know, somebody like it affecting them directly before they realize the gravity of the situation. So I feel like that is happening to more, more and more places across the country so that people are finally realizing like, yeah, this is something we need to be careful with. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's like, you can have a really strong opinion one way or the other based on what you see or hear on TV. Um, But once like someone in your family or someone you know like suffers from this and you see like directly how bad it is then it's like okay like i'm going to change my behavior based on this direct experience right um so i guess right and i I think that well and i'm but i think that is how this ranked choice voting might actually get some traction is that if people from maine and another state approves it and then you know, people from those states or move elsewhere or tell their friends and family about it. And then eventually they're going to re- people are slowly going to realize that ranked choice voting is the 
better way to do things and get rid of primaries. That's another thing he says in this book that like primaries is so stupid. And I completely agree. Like, it, you know, just it, don't let <laughs> people don't know what they're doing. And like you said before, is that there's so few people vote in primaries anyway that it's, you're just going to get a skewed result of different from what the actual general population wants. Yeah, so. but just to play devil's advocate, don't you think like if there's no primary to like at least give someone a trial run in the political campaign process, like maybe a crazy person gets elected easier because they don't have to jump through those hoops of like getting that early support? No, because like then a, a crazy person wouldn't be a pot party's nominee, right? Like the party would be, be the, the filter, like the Republican Party in 2016 would have never nominated Trump as their candidate. They would have, you know, I know I would say the devil's advocate in that scenario is that you get the the deals done in the smoke filled room that, you know, that Trump would have get gotten shut out of 2016. Like Bernie Sanders supporters feel like he got shut out of 2016 because there were mechanisms behind the scenes that were influenced to help Hillary Clinton. But, you know, I think that primaries just bring out the crazies enough to the point where I am more than willing to accept whatever party uh, wants to put forward their candidate. And I think that will affect if we had more than two choices too. Mm-hmm. that's the other, that's the other thing as I'm getting at is like, let the parties determine their own nominees, but have more than just two choices and right. do rank choice voting. And you'll get what a more broad consensus of what the American people want. Yeah. Especially it's funny. Cause it's like culturally in America, it's all about like, have it your way, you know, like yeah. why, why don't we have more options? Like, I want it this way. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. We just need to take our great uh, consumerist element of our culture, you know, and apply yes. that to right. that range of choice to listen, politics. Listen, I mean, we don't vote for the American Idol or the voice based on just two people. We have a whole scat of them, and then we boil it down. The Bachelor and Bachelorette don't pick between just two choices. Don't spend, you know, three months deciding between two people they have a slew of, of choices to pick from why can't yeah, we you don't do you don't do ranked choice voting in american idol <laughs> no but like that i'm just getting the point where like americans want options and democracy is not giving them options yes, that's my point democracy is a lot like american idol is yes what we want exactly to say. like it here's my here's right. my point Two, two alternatives is too few. Two choices reduces politics to an oversimplified binary conflict. And human nature being what it is, oversimplified binary conflict makes it too easy to see the world in terms of us against them. With more categories and more fluid identities, we become more confused and more uncertain. This is good. It prevents us from seeing our side as the righteous and natural majority. Complexity forces us to think harder. Doubt opens us to compromise. More parties bring in more diversity of perspective. Boom. That's good. That that yeah. sums it up really well. That, that it does. So you don't have to read the book now. You can just listen to that quote again. And yes, and again. I got, I got a few more quotes. All right. American national politics is dysfunctional because it has two distinct non-overlapping parties, each constantly seeking to win a narrow majority. The governing institutions are set up to require compromise and co coalition building but the winner-take-all electoral system pushes against compromise and coalition building parties have no incentive to work together and voters increasingly convinced that the fate of the nation is at stake with every election now actively punish compromise the result is toxic politics and political disaster that's good 
Yes. It yeah, is. that's the thing. It's like people are just behaving based on the system. Like, right. you know, it's they're doing what like anyone would do under the circumstances. So oh, it's yeah. a matter of changing the conditions. I think, I think that's an excellent point. I don't think the American people are at fault here. I think the system is just broken and that the American people, it's just human nature to, you know, like you said, stay in your bubble. Like this is where your friends are. And, you know, you want to, you want to have the, you want to believe that your common core beliefs are the same as your friends, common core beliefs. And that, you know, thinking against the grain on topics is difficult and hard. And I get it. We don't want to do that because we just we work all day and then we come home and we just want to watch Netflix and stupid Adam Sandler movies. But, you know, we and, can't all think as much as you, Brian. And I'm, I'm saying I, I don't blame I don't blame the American citizen for not wanting to think about this shit because it's just stupid. All right. So then this is this is what I'll leave you with. Okay. In stark contrast with simple plurality winner elections. Ranked choice voting incentivizes candidates to focus on more than just their base. Candidates are now campaigning for second and third choice votes. This rewards less polarizing and more moderate candidates. It also encourages more candidates to run without being spoilers. So voters end up with more meaningful choices. In short, adopting single winner ranked choice voting would improve competition, increase third party activity and make politics more moderate. Agreed. Well said. Yes. Doom loop guy. <laughs> Doom, well said, Lee Drutman. I, I mean, yes, like I felt like this is a book for political nerds on both sides of the aisle, because I think you're right. I think Republicans would be very resistant to address any of these issues, but I feel like it would be beneficial for everybody involved because it's, I think Republicans maybe now are, are second guessing their allegiance to Trump. At least some of them are. So that maybe they would realize that multiple parties would actually improve their chances of getting elected. Yeah, I think the spirit of the book is good. Uh, I think we just need or the country and the world needs someone to come along and package it in maybe a slightly different way that yeah. could appeal to a broader audience. Agreed. So. Agreed. All right. Rating so time? rating time. Yeah. You want me to go first so that you I'll don't excuse me of copying? <laughs> All right. Go ahead. No, I'll give it a three. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give it a four. Because yeah. of topic matter. I mean, it's very dense. It wasn't easy for me to read, but um, but I really liked it still nonetheless. And I agree with everything you said. Yeah, yeah. that's that's no. fair. I think three just because, like I said, with the solutions could have yeah. been a little more, you know, detailed. But right. Um, either way, uh, worth but I reading. Feel like, I feel like this was his attempt to try to just boil it down to a simple solution. I don't. I, I think he was trying not to overwhelm the reader with multiple solutions, but I feel like he already overwhelmed us with all the background information. Yeah. So, so next we are reading the infinite game by Simon Sinek. This is going to be a book that Tim picked. I don't know what it's about, but we will read it and we'll find out and we'll discuss and have another lively conversation. So until then, I mean, go to our website, two guys, one book.com. You can see all our upcoming books and comment on them if you've read them. Tell us what you liked and didn't like, or what do you like and dislike about Tim? Because let's be real, Brian is awesome. So with that being said, until next time, keep reading. <laughs>